0: You know, I hope today that you are ready to go on a hike. Yeah? You ready to go on a hike? I know you guys just came back from a hike. Um, Here's the kind of hike that I hope to take us on today. A hike in the doctrinal Grand Canyon. You ready for this? You know, I I, I know for some of us, some of us are going to get a little bit winded, a little bit exhausted. Some of us are a little bit more um, ready to take on the subject matter we're taking on today, but whether you are young in the faith, whether you are doctrinally strong or weak, here is one hope for today, that you will understand the majesty and the glory of your calling, your calling by God himself. And I know it's a very deep subject matter we are covering today. But I don't think we should ever avoid the difficult subject matters. We've been doing that a lot lately. And today we are going to take on uh, a word that we're going to read twice here in this text in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And it's referred to doctrinally as the doctrine of predestination. What does predestination mean? Predestination means that God had chosen beforehand who he was going to save from the the clutches of sin and death. Now, whenever you go and talk about this kind of doctrine, it leaves a lot of questions. One question is, well, why would God choose me? Well, that's a great question. We're going to tackle that here today. But another question you might have if you're really engaging your brain is, well, why would God not choose everybody? And I know many people don't like to talk about this subject matter because of that very question, because we get embarrassed by how God works, and we believe if God didn't choose everybody, then he is unjust. Well, I know there's going to be many questions even after the sermon is all over. So, I know that with our finite minds, we cannot fully comprehend an infinite God, right? Yet, at the same time, I want to uh, bring a verse of Scripture up to you. Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God... But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. See, that L for law there is not capitalized. If it was capitalized, it would be the Mosaic law. It's saying the written law of God. And so basically, the words that stand out to me in this verse are the secret things. There are many mysterious secret things that you and I cannot fully comprehend. For instance, how does God choosing us and yet we having a free will work together? Have you ever thought about that? See, it's questions like this why many get very hung up and say, that's why I can't be a Jesus follower, because there's these incredibly difficult doctrines. I would say Ephesians 1 is probably the most majestic and deep, like the Grand Canyon, that you will ever read in Scripture in a short amount of time. We're going to look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, and here's a practice that I have established for myself that whenever I go into these doctrines that just enough is revealed to me to be able to make an informed decision, these are kind of the guardrails that help me in times like this. One is that I know that I know that I know that God is good do you believe God is good? I think we believe God is good. We just don't always like His definition of good in our circumstances. But again, God often has to use resistance in our life to either draw us to Him or to strengthen some muscles that need develop. But God is good. Another thing about God is that He is holy. That there is none other like Him. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. I mean, that's very, very difficult to comprehend. But that is the God that we worship. But also we know that bo- that God both intervenes. He intervenes in certain situations. You may recall times in your life where it's almost like you could not help, but you were so... Pulled in such a direction to make a decision that it felt like God's intervention in that. But sometimes God allows us to make decisions, and whether those decisions are wise decisions or unwise decisions, whether those decisions are rooted in the authority of the Word of God or not rooted in the authority of the Word of God, God is able to make all things work together for the good. All things. Yesterday we were in Indianapolis with our daughter and son-in-law. Our daughter is uh, going to have a birthday here coming up and so this was our weekend that we could fit in to, to to celebrate this and we were at this place called The Garage. It was great. It was like a huge food court of all kinds of different foods and tons of tables, but then there was a store in there, and it had these watches, and I was fascinated by this one watch where it was transparent, and you could see all the workings of the watch, and when you looked at this watch, there were some of those dials that were going counterclockwise. They were going backwards, but those in moving backwards were instrumental in helping the main dials move forward. Have you ever felt like That in your life, I've made the wrong decisions, or oh man, I wish I didn't do that. It's kind of the counterclockwise dial, but that God is using all of that to progress His perfect will in our lives. So we can be assured of that. That should bring you hope, confidence, and that you can anchor your hope to that. And so now today, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 1. Uh, verses 3 through 14 on page 1159 in the Bible in front of you. I'm going to invite Charlie Walker up here to the stage who is going to read the text for us. So Charlie, come on down. But we want everybody here to follow along in the text because you're going to be, again, introducing some terminology that maybe you haven't heard before. But I believe when this terminology is mentioned in God's Word, it's hugely important for us to be able to get. So Charlie tell us something about
1: yourself. Uh, as Brian mentioned my name is Charlie Walker and my wife Kim and I have been coming to Grace Spring for about 24 years ever since it was Richland Bible Church. Um, we have five children and two of them about 11 years ago came to live with us permanently. Uh, Guillermo and Millennium you probably have seen them out in the hallways um, they are part of our forever family, and we'll be celebrating 13, not 13, 11 years this fall in August of when they came home to live with us, which is a whole message in and of itself, but it's not my turn to speak. so. <laughs> All right, Charlie. Thank you so much for that.
0: Uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, could you please uh, stand for the reading of God's
1: word? <sighs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you, Charlie.
0: Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you that as always your word, directed by your spirit, is enough for your people. We confess that you are more majestic than our minds are able to fully comprehend. Hope the eyes of our soul take the time this day to take it in and to see the depth of the riches of your love you have for us. We desire to walk out of here seeing with more clarity the greatness of you. May it translate into our everyday lives. Speak to us now and change us, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Look at verse three for a second. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think on that. For those who've been raised in church, you might think, oh yeah, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. But You need to know that for a period of about 3,000 years, the Jews worshiped one God. And when you worship one God, you you are thinking that one God is one entity. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus says these words. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And they go, wait, 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 wait. You said, you believe in one God, Jesus. And he said, yes, I do. And I've been sent by God the Father. And oh, by the way, I am God too. Wait, wait, wait. Now that's two gods. No, 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 no. We are one. We are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet another doctrine we are introduced to in Ephesians chapter 1. Notice here. Paul is addressing, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, please know, this does not mean Father in the case that Jesus literally was created by God. No, God in three persons God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God always was, is, and always will be. He is eternal. So Jesus was not created, but you would have the Trinity here that is represented throughout this text. So here we have God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want you to think on that. He's given you every spiritual blessing and he's blessed you with that. Now, I know many times how people use the word blessed is tied to how materially blessed they are or how circumstantially blessed they are. If things are going in a way that you would prefer, you say, What? I'm blessed, right? In this context, again, you have this church that Paul is writing to that it's living in the midst of a very chaotic time. In fact, um, Ephesus was a very spiritual region. You had the trade route of people coming from all over the world. And so there were all kinds of gods worshiped there. And I think the same danger is for us today. I think with social media, with uh, so much information that we have access to, that I do believe, and I think even in the Church of Jesus Christ, that we throw around terminology that I would caution us to be careful about. One of those is something I've heard more and more and more, and it's kind of the terminology associated with, if you do something bad to somebody, you better watch out, because what goes around comes around. What is the spiritual name that our society calls that? Karma. They said, oh, there you go. That's karma again. I'm hearing all kinds of Christians using that terminology. Oh, watch out. That's karma. You did that. You better watch out. Guys, we have got to be very careful with our mentality that way. If you believe God is always going to come and repay you for what you have done, (laughs) you got to remember, none of us is perfect And when we blow it, and if you think karma is alive and well, then you're just waiting for God to punish you for something you did. And it's like, we got to be careful here. This is why Paul here in the first three chapters in Ephesians is going after these heavy, doctrinal, deep words. I mean, think about this. He's encouraging in church, and he starts out like this. I mean, when you were reading that text... Did it occur to you, like this question occurred to me, who would write this? I mean, what man or woman would write something like this? This is too mind-blowing to comprehend. I mean, notice as we read through this and continue on, it says that he chose us in him or in Christ when. Look at your text. Before the foundation of the world. I want you to stop there. That he chose you before the world was ever created. What is that? Well, I'll tell you, that is mysterious is what that is. And God being an uh, eternal God, never having a yesterday. Can you even comprehend what it's like to never have a yesterday? Because that's an eternal God, the eternal God who we worship. And so here, we are introduced to the idea that God the Father has chosen us. Has chosen who? Has chosen those who have responded to what Jesus did on the work of the cross on your behalf. He was the Lamb of God living the perfect life who took away the sin of the world. He's taken away the eternal consequences of your disobedience to God. And he's taken that away. So he says those who have responded that way, as opposed to getting all frustrated as to who is called, who is not, I would just like to encourage you, if you feel the Lord drawing you to himself, to say, Lord, I give up. You win. You are God. I am not. I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you so much for addressing my sin on the cross so that I don't have to do what I earned. As a sinner, I earned death. I earned separation from a good and holy God. But instead, God the Father has chosen you. I tell you, that is amazing. It should give you comfort. It should give you great encouragement. And your identity should be rooted less in what you do for work or how successful you are in something and more in what does God say about you. He loved you because he determined before he created the heavens and the earth that his affections were going to be directed to you. Now, I don't know how you hear that and that not move you. I know for some it's like, wow, this is too hard to comprehend. Well, I'm telling you, God the Father has chosen us. And I know these deep things like this. Um, can I encourage you? This is where the, the word faith kicks in. Um, we are to be a people of faith. Faith is trusting in God in those areas that don't make total sense, but He's given you enough revelation about Himself that you can now make an informed decision. Now, I remember when I was young and I was in the bathtub, I thought it would be fun to have a blow dryer and make waves for the little submarine I had in the bathtub. I thought that'd be fun. But for some reason... Parents say, no, you can't do that. I mean, how mean of them, right? I mean, the perfect storm, a blow dryer in a bathtub. I mean, how great is that? But see, the parents just say, no, you don't do that. Now, they didn't go on and on about electricity and all the science behind electricity. Why would they not do that when I was a kid? Because I couldn't comprehend. It was too deep. It was too much to comprehend. Well, I know for some of us, the idea that God has chosen us is very much for many too deep to comprehend. But in faith, I trust that God, if you said you chose me, my question now is, why would you choose me? Because John six forty four says this, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus himself said these words. And he says, the only way you are drawn to me is because the Father has chosen you and called you. Now he's not going to force you to do something that you don't want to do. Again, that's that tension between I've got choice and God has calling and how do those two work together. Don't totally know in the very same way that when we're in an airplane and we look outside one wing, there is a wing there and you look on the left side of the aircraft, there's another wing If one of those wings was not there, you would not be able to fly. It takes two working together to be able to create the lift, which gives us the law of aerodynamics. In the very same way, theologically, there is free will, there is a choice, but God is a good God. He wants to lure us. He will at times intervene, and it's almost like... uh, giving a horse, uh, you know, salt to make them thirsty. Sometimes God does those things. He'll bring circumstances in life that make us thirsty that we could either go to what the world has to offer or what the Lord has to offer. We have choices in the matter, but God so loves you, and he's chosen, and it is not his will. He doesn't want anyone to have to die apart from him. But in the same way, we know here in Ephesians 1 that Paul is addressing a church, and he is saying, church, you have been called by God before the beginning of time. And what he did is it says at the end of verse 4, in love, going into verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons or as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What he said there is this, that it's as though God the Father goes into the adoption Agency and the adoption agency was run by this master, and his name was Sin. And Sin, believing himself to do the loving thing, just says, Hey, live for yourself if it pleases you, do it, do it. What come, do what comes naturally to you. But it's a loving father, God the Father, who goes into that adoption agency and says, Oh. Man, I want to deliver you from that bondage. And so sin says, well, there's a payment according to the law that was written before time began. The only way that you can deliver any of these from my adoption agency, it's going to require blood. It's going to require blood. Which is what gets us to the second portion And that is verses 7 to 12 remind us that God the Son redeems us. God the Son redeems us. You know, something I forgot to say earlier, and that is verses 3 through 14 in the Greek is one long sentence. It's as if Paul, in writing this, could not stop. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he just said, man, these riches are so good, this is so good, I just gotta keep writing and writing and writing and writing. Well, again, he has talked about God the Father, now he's talking about God the Son. And he says, in Him we have what? Through the blood. Look at your text. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The grace being the unmerited favor of God directed to you and me. You know, I was reading a story and I'm I'm sorry for the graphicness of the story, but I think it illustrated so well what Paul is saying here in this text. I'd read of these terrorists who, when they went into a restaurant to shoot up people, um, this woman was trying to escape, but a gentleman was shot numerous times and fell on her, and he was so heavy that uh, she couldn't push him off immediately. And unfortunately, so she thought, his blood came onto her. But when the terrorists came through, they saw that her body was covered in blood and assumed that she was shot and killed and they moved on. She survived and she survived because of the blood of another that was on her and it saved her life. I think in the very same way, The blood of Jesus has been spilled over to those who have placed their faith and trust. And the price has been paid for your adoption. No longer being in Adam or in sin, that we'll talk about more here in the weeks ahead. But now in Christ. You know, there were numerous times, I believe about... Um, At least seven times in this scripture today that we hear in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Uh, Why that is so important is because Jesus's perfection, his righteousness was applied to you so that you could get holiness in return for the sin in which Jesus took from you. I don't know how many of you ever went to college, but I remember applying for numerous colleges. And I remember the day when I got a letter from the college that had a signature from one who is representing the president of Oregon State University that says, welcome, you now are an Oregon State beaver. Yay. Not a fan of the mascot and not a fan of orange and black four colors, but that's okay. It says you are an Oregon State Beaver, and when you arrive to campus on this date, you will be given the rights and the privileges of an Oregon State Beaver. There are certain places you can go where the public cannot go. And see, in the very same way, when we are in Christ, when we have placed our faith in Jesus, his righteousness, his perfection has been applied to us so that we can have a relationship with God the Father. God the Father, who God's word says, promises that for your sin there will be no more condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8.1. There is now therefore no condemnation. And the Father promises never to leave you or forsake you in Hebrews chapter 13. And in Zephaniah, Zephaniah, you know what? Let me read this to you in Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, the Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. So this is a heavenly father, your creator, the one who has chosen you for all time. He promises never to leave or forsake you. He promises because of the cross never to hold your sin against you. And he even sings over you. Isn't that a good word? He sings over you, but he does that at the cost of Jesus Christ who at Calvary, he shed his blood so you and I could be saved. Isn't that good news? The world needs to hear this news, folks. Easter is just around the corner. Are you praying, investing, inviting? Are you praying for those that you know who do not know Jesus yet? Are you praying for them? Are you inviting them to your house? Are you having relationship with them so that they might be ripened to the truth of the Word of God based on knowing you? Or do you just come to church? And just say, well, that's that's up to them. If God chose them, then they're going to be fine, and God doesn't need me in the process. Hey, God has called you to be in the process. He's called me to be in the process. He says, you don't know who's been chosen, who hasn't been. You just be faithful. Because God the Father has called, and God the Son redeems, leading to the third truth we see here, here in the text, Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed. That's not a terminology we use very much in our culture. No one says, man, I'm sealed. Well, to have something sealed is to be protected, right? Right? Uh, to be sealed is to have something safeguarded for a later time. You know, people will say, "Well, this is kind of the Holy Spirit is securing your deposit into eternity, so that when you leave this world, you will be ushered into the world to come." And the Holy Spirit is the one who secures that for you. But God's word is so clear in First Corinthians 12:3 and elsewhere where it says, nobody could come to me unless the Holy Spirit draws him to me. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he works on the work of Jesus Christ and he draws people to himself. He entices, he lures people to himself. I would venture to say, if you are here today, if you are listening, that the Holy Spirit of God is continuing to lure you into his presence. That is not something that we have concocted up here as a church. We cannot make people come here. All we can do is be faithful to what God has called us to. And in the meantime, I would encourage you to ask yourself, is it possible that the Holy Spirit of God might be drawing me into a relationship with Him and He's been drawing me all along. I've just been too afraid of what people would say. Well, I think we are living in a time where we got to stop being tired or concerned of what people might think. And we've got to know that, hey, life is found in relationship with the holy God. The God who draws us to himself, who paid the price so that we can have relationship with him. And to not only be drawn by the Holy Spirit, but for the Holy Spirit to give you assurances. So that you never ever have to fear of karma. Oh, I did this, now bad stuff is going to happen to me. And God's going to punish me for this bad. No. No. He has punished Jesus on the cross for your sin once and for all. And his final words on the cross were to tell us die. It is finished. It is finished. And so now, I want to encourage us that God's work in our adoption from the household of sin. God the Father has chosen us. God the Son redeems us. God the Holy Spirit draws us and assures us. And this is now church the journey that we are on through this doctrinal Grand Canyon of the book of Ephesians. And I've put it out in this kind of format so you can make sense of it. And that is that one, at the very core, that when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have been reconciled to God. We've been adopted into the household of God. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so we receive the Lord, and then that invites us into, number two, a relationship with Christ. At the core of our being, it is so opposite of religion. That is saying, try hard to work to appease the favor of God. No, the gospel is, that's already been done at Calvary. Now we live from this amazing gift we have been given. Why? Because the grace of God is bigger than any sin you have. Do you need me to repeat that? The grace of God, Him choosing to love you, despite what you have done, the grace of God is bigger than any sin that you have. He's bigger. It's bigger than that. You've done nothing to earn it. I think back of the nation of Israel when they said, well, um, we are pretty special people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, it says this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. It's because The Lord loves you. It's because he's chosen to extend his love to you. And that's what we get to respond to, church. And so in John 1.12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It says to all who have received him. That might be you today. Whether you're li- wherever you are listening from, that might be you today. To all who have received Him, this is what I love about following Jesus: that it is a faith that is not achieved; it is a faith that is received. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, trusted in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, He paid the price for your sin. He died the death you deserved and the grave couldn't keep him. He conquered death. And he conquered death so that you will have the hope that one day we are going to to see Jesus face to face. And everything that brought heartbreak is going to be dismantled and there will be nothing but joy. There's going to be nothing but peace. It is a day I am looking forward to. And I hope you are looking forward to as well. You know, for some of you, you might be saying, but Brian, yes, I've prayed and I've received Jesus Christ as Lord my Savior, but I keep failing over and over again. And surely, surely the grace of God has limits. I will tell you, surely there are no limits to the grace of God. There's a church father by the name of Augustine. Augustine was a theologian in northern Africa. And Augustine was a very deep theological thinker. And, but there was something about Augustine that he had a great challenge with uh, sexual temptation. And he found that even though he was a follower of Christ, he kept finding himself stumbling in that area, stumbling in that area, until one day he read the words that in Christ all things are made new. The old is gone, the new has come. And so one day he was at a public establishment and there was a woman who saw him and said, Augustine, it is I. And he looked at her And then he looked down and he looked away. And so she pursued him and said, Augustine, Augustine, remember me. It is I. She was trying to entice him again, just like the old times. But this time, he says, Yes, but it is no longer I. See, it is Christ in me. Each and every day, we have a choice. And God gives us that choice. Will you follow him or follow your own will? When I go into those seasons of following my own will, there's always a lot of chaos that ensues. But choosing to follow Christ, knowing how that tension happens between God chose me and yet doesn't force me to choose him, but he lures, he entices me, and I choose him. One thing that is truly not true of God is he will never entice somebody to reject him. He will always entice to say, hey, follow me, follow me. So I'm asking you, are you following the footsteps of the one who calls you Because the Father has called you and Jesus Christ has made a way for you to have relationship so that you could be made holy, so that the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, can dwell within you. Deep stuff, hard to fully comprehend, but I am finding the more and more that I'm walking in union with Him, the more the Holy Spirit is enabling me to continue to mine for deeper and deeper and deeper truths that are on the property of salvation that he's given me. He just said, some of this you just need to mine for. But walk with me and allow me to lead you to the newness of life. Our world needs this, folks. Our world needs this. And how does our world get this? Our world gets this because the world looks at what's going on in the world and the chaos in the world, but when they look to you, they see you thriving in the day and age in which we live. Thrive is the word of the year for us. Let's thrive because we are daring to place our faith and trust in what God says about us And the more we drink deeply from those waters, the more we will see our lives being transformed from the inside out. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for the truth of your word. We have really uh, dove into these interesting waters, predestination, trinity. But Lord, thank you that in this list today that we read from, that in Christ, we have been given faithfulness, the ability to be faithful. In verse one, the ability to be blessed. In verse three, Lord, that we have been, uh, that we have the ability to be holy and blameless. In verse four, that we have been forgiven. In verse seven, that we will be able to know the will of God. Verse nine. That we have been redeemed, verse 10. That we have an incredible inheritance. That what is yours is ours, in verse 11. That we have this hope, in verse 12. That we have been given the Holy Spirit, in verse 13. Lord, these are nine incredible forms of richness and blessing that we have in you. And we give you the praise. This is why we respond in song today. We thank you for being a God who has chosen us before the beginning of time. And Lord, I pray right now for those who have never settled this in their hearts. I pray that today will be the day that they say, I choose to follow Jesus. I want to be adopted from the sin that has so entangled me and ensnared me and bound me. And now to walk in the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I pray that salvation happens here today, whether it is a step into the family of faith or maybe a step back into the family of faith after living maybe in a far off place for a long time. Lord, we want to be a church that satisfies dry places with the life-giving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that these waters have found dry places here today so that life will spring forth where before there was only death. I pray for that miracle here today, no matter where people are, that today they will find their salvation in you. We pray in your most holy and precious name. We are so grateful for you, Jesus. Amen.